0: Welcome to the Richard Roper Podcast. Hello to everyone near, far, wherever you are. Thanks once again for listening, subscribing, downloading, telling your friends, all that good stuff. Dueling movies, ladies and gentlemen, dueling movies we're going to talk about. And no, spoiler alert, I'm not talking about movies with actual duels in them. I'm talking about, sometimes the term people use is twin movies. And no, I'm not talking about movies with twins in them. I'm talking about movies that came out around the same time with similar subjects. It's a Hollywood phenomenon that's been going on for decades. I'm sure you can think of some famous examples where within sometimes weeks, sometimes a couple of months of each other, you've got two volcano movies, for example. When we had Volcano and Dante's Peak uh, back in 19, what was that? What year was that? Uh, 1997, I believe, was uh, Dante's Peak and Volcano. Ask me to tell you the difference between those two movies right now, and I could tell you that uh, Pierce Brosnan was in one of them. Uh, but we're going to talk about uh, various dueling movies throughout history and also reviews for you, all of that. But first, here's your reminder The Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's online business environment, You need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Okay, then. Dueling movies. Um, I've got a piece coming up in my hometown newspaper, The Chicago Sun-Times. You can get all my written reviews and articles and columns, etc., At SunTimes.com, we are approaching the 25th anniversary of probably the most famous example of dueling movies of all time, and that would be in 1998, so 25 years ago, almost to to the date. It it would be a little bit later this spring and summer. Uh, 25 years ago, we had the release of Deep Impact in May of 1998, and then Armageddon. Just about five weeks later in both of those movies, both big budget, big ticket, sci-fi, super duper movies uh, with essentially the same plot. There's a giant ass comet making its way toward our planet. And unless we figure out a way to go up in space and destroy that giant asteroid comet floating rock, whatever the F they want to call it scientifically, it's going to hit the planet and it's going to be just like it was 66 million years ago when six mile wide a hunk of meteorite uh, struck the earth and wiped out the dinosaurs and everybody else and there was cloud and ash and dust in the sky for a thousand years and the sun couldn't penetrate it and almost everything on earth died and then the planet was reborn. We all remember where we were when that happened. So both of those movies were about that. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. But the, you know, the dueling movies thing. Actually, I want to start off by, uh, by mentioning uh, dueling streaming series that are coming our way. Actually, one of them came out. Um, we had uh, Jessica Biel. Remember, she played Candy Montgomery, a woman who in 1980 was an infamous case, was accused of murdering Betty Gore. Betty was the wife of the man that Candy was having an affair with. There were these, you know, church-going, suburban, I think it was, Texan families. And uh, Candy allegedly took an axe to Betty like 40-some times. Actually ended up being acquitted in the trial, shockingly to a lot of people. But she was. She was found not guilty. Uh, So Jessica Biel played uh, Candy in the Hulu series Candy. And she was terrific. I think it was one of her best performances. Uh, Now, right around the corner, uh, I'm recording this in mid-April, April uh, April 27th, uh, we're getting Love and Death, uh, which is going to be on HBO Max, and it's the same story, another fictionalization of it. This time, Elizabeth Olsen is playing Candy Montgomery, so we have dueling projects right there. Even last year, uh, toward the end of last year, we had two movies that kind of fit into this category, Uh, A Man Called Otto and Living, as you recall, A Man Called Otto That was the Tom Hanks movie where he played that, uh, you know, the curmudgeonly guy on the street who recently uh, was kind of forced out of his job, doesn't have a lot to do, drives everybody nuts. He's policing everybody. He gets into little disputes all the time, just a total crab ass. And then kind of experiences a very late life uh, reawakening of the spirit. And I thought Tom Hanks was terrific in that. A Man Called Otto ended up being relatively speaking one of tom hanks's biggest box office successes it's done really really well well over 100 million dollars it was made for very little money and then we had bill nighy who was uh, bill Nye was uh, nominated for an oscar for living that was a period piece it was a remake of a kurosawa film but this is a guy i think it was london in the 1950s uh same kind of thing a bureaucrat uh lived pretty solitary life uh like the tom hanks character was a widower um didn't have a whole lot going on or did not want to have a lot going on in terms of friendships with colleagues or uh people that worked for him in his uh, bureaucratic job and then he starts to get a diagnosis or does get a diagnosis about his health and experience his own reawakening so even though those were not that was not a big budget example those are example of dueling movies now going to talk about the history of this uh, in most cases I don't think the intent is to rip off something that's already in development. What happens is, you know, two studios, rivals, uh start developing a project, one hears about the other, and sometimes people have backed down. Sometimes studios have said, "You know what, you you're you're ahead of us in terms of the development of your project. We're not going to try to do the same thing." But in many cases they just go forward with them, and some are usually more memorable than others. It goes all the way back to the 1930s and movies um, there were two movies about Catherine the Great the rise of Catherine the Great and the Scarlet Empress that came out in 1934 uh we had young Mr Lincoln and Abe Lincoln in Illinois in uh 39 and then 1940s uh, 1940 so one movie came out in in 39 and the other 40 within 12 months of each other and on and on it goes I, I put together a little list here for you guys moving forward you know to even things like uh In 1965, now the mid 60s was a very interesting period for movies because we still had this, we had this clash between old Hollywood, which was still dominating for the most part, uh, the box office and the Oscars, you know, the big giant old fashioned movies, whether it was, you know, movies like uh, My Fair Lady, you know, big budget musicals and uh, giant epics, Lawrence of Arabia, which is a great film. Uh, ben her going back a few years before that. But then we were also starting to get the uh, the new wave of French films and also uh, Hollywood starting by the mid to late 60s. We were getting, you know, the Bonnie and Clydes and Easy Riders and things like that. But in 1965, the theaters were still dominated by, in a lot of cases, kind of cheesy, corny, over-the-top spectacles. Uh, in 1963, we had It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World, you know, one of those uh, – you see the posters for those movies and there's a million cast members on there. And it's called kinds of hijinks and a, a big crazy race and everything. In 1965, we had those magnificent men in their flying machines and the great race, both slapstick films about a race. Uh, race is actually in the early 1900s. So period piece, but it still had that kind of technicolor 60s look to it. Uh, then let's see, we're moving through uh, more through the 70s. Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar in 1973, both adaptations of Broadway musicals based on the life of Jesus Christ. Although, you know, Godspell was a kind of a touchy-feely commune type of a thing, and Jesus Christ Superstar, obviously a musical, but really was a faithful retelling of the New Testament. Very controversial, I think it's, a, it's actually a beautiful, brilliant film. I love the soundtrack to Jesus Christ Superstar. In 1978, we had Corvette Summer and Stingrays, both action comedies about a Chevy Corvette. How about that? 79, remember we had the uh, the Warriors and the Wanderers. Uh, the Warriors and the Wanderers. I think the, the Warriors is the more memorable of those films. You know, some of it, it, you know, it seems a little cheesy and dated now, but uh, it had some great lines, including Warriors come out to play, which was a classic moment. And uh, it was the idea about... Um, this gang trying to make it home and these different uh, crazy gang guys dressed up as baseball players with bats, whatever the case may be who have, there's a hit out on the warriors and also in the warriors. It ends with the great Joe Walsh in the city. A uh, great tune. 79 brought us the Amityville horror and the shining both supernatural horror films, about a family moving into a building where a lot of shit had happened before that twin movies, dueling movies we're talking about continues all the way through uh the 80s we had gremlins and ghoulies within a few months of each other uh we had return of the living dead and day of the dead zombie films in 1985 the list i put together here some of these i I, as i'm looking at i'm like yeah you know they're they're tackling similar topics but in very different ways uh fright night and vamp in 1985 and 86 we had um The Secret of My Success in 87 and Working Girl, The Secret of My Success, Michael J. Fox, Working Girl, Melanie Griffith, both about executives or actually it's about lower level employees who pretend to be executives in both of those movies. Working Girl, uh, much more uh, memorable, although there's some good moments in Secret of My Success, uh, kind of a, a, a very well tailored vehicle for young Michael J. Fox. And the late 80s brought us a lot of those uh body switching movies that which again have been around for a long time but uh, especially uh male oriented. So in uh, 1987, or in 1987, yeah, uh, we had Like Father Like Son in 1988 Big, great movie with Tom Hanks, right? And Robert Loggia. Again, most of the time when we go through these, one of these ended up being a lot more memorable than the other. 1993 brought us Tombstone and Wyatt Earp both movies of course including Herb*. Uh, here's another one. <laughs> you know, you, it is amazing sometimes that Hollywood came up with the same concept in two separate rooms or two different writers or sets of writers came up with, you know, rather unusual concepts at the same time. So in 93/1994 we had both Rookie of the Year and Little Big League, both films about a 12-year-old boy who gets involved in major league baseball. I mean, I thought of that. No, I thought of that first. Uh, We'll move forward a little bit. Uh, As we mentioned, Dante's Peak and Volcano were the dueling movies of 1997. Then we come up to Deep Impact and Armageddon in 1998. And as I mentioned, I've got a a full piece in the Sun Times about the development of the two films, the execution of the two films, and how they fared. Uh, So essentially, Armageddon, I think there's no doubt about it, has the bigger place in the, you know, the bigger footprint, if you will, the biggest imprint on pop culture. I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, the big Steven Tyler Aerosmith power ballad, which went all the way to number one, Aerosmith's only number one song. Uh, People remember so many scenes, the ridiculous Animal Crackers scene with uh, uh, Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler. Armageddon in particular, you know, Michael Bay film, and of course Michael Bay makes all these bombastic flag-waving action-packed live-action cartoons. And in 1998, it was kind of the perfect time there that kind of we were still into the really the prime years of action movie stars carrying movies, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Bruce Willis, et cetera. So Bruce Willis is definitely the star of Armageddon. The, the supporting cast, very well known. A lot of them were not that well known at the time. Owen Wilson, even Ben Affleck, had just right around the time, a little bit after uh, Good Wheel Hunting, still on his way up. Steve Buscemi had done a lot of good work. Armageddon, you know, when we say science and Armageddon, we shouldn't even say them in the same sentence because it's it's absolutely insane, uh, the premise there, because the setup is uh, instead of sending astronauts up to uh, try to blow apart this uh, giant rock hurtling towards Earth, they decide that it would be better to get oil guys, oil drillers, deep drillers. Uh, And even uh, Ben Affleck has pointed out, wouldn't it be easier to train astronauts how to drill than to teach a drilling crew how to be astronauts in like a couple of weeks i asked michael why it was easier to train oil drillers to become astronauts than it was to train astronauts to become oil drillers and he told me to shut 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 the fuck up so that, that was the end of that talk he was like you know ben just shut up okay you know this is a real plan all right i was like you mean it's a real plan at nasa to train oil drillers he was like just shut your mouth shut <laughs> up see here's where we demonstrate that because bruce is going to tell the guys that they did a bad job of building the drill tank he did a piss. See, he's a salt of the earth guy and the nasa nerdonauts don't uh, don't understand uh, his salt of the earth ways his rough and tumble ways like somehow they can build rocket ships but they don't understand like what makes a good tranny <laughs> Uh, Deep Impact, a much more serious uh, look at the same situation. I mean, it's still taking lots of flights of fancy, but if you watch the two films uh, back-to-back, Deep Impact is by far the superior film, Uh, whereas Armageddon, I think famously the average shot in the movie is less than three seconds. It's just quick cut, quick cut, dizzying pace, swelling music, songs by Aerosmith and ZZ Top cartoonishly over the top, lots of explosions. Uh, Deep Impact really told the story mostly from the ground, whereas Armageddon was up in the air with, with the with the astro, well, I'm sorry, the riggers who had become astronauts, and there was a couple of astronauts with them as well. Uh, Deep Impact tells the story, f- you know, it's kind of a double entendre title, Deep Impact. You know, the impact this asteroid's going to have and also uh, the impact on human life, not just in terms of, you know, the destruction of lives and entire communities but uh relationships that you know were pivotal in the movie tia leone and her father and et cetera. Et cetera. it's a better movie i understand and, and you know the other thing real quickly about that i want to mention too is people seem to think that armageddon was a huge hit and deep impact was a bomb a bomb so to speak Armageddon was a huge hit but but Deep Impact did really well also it made I think about 350 million dollars worldwide Armageddon made about 500 million dollars they both probably made similar profits although I would again think that through the decades licensing and distribution and cable and all that home video back when that was a huge thing Armageddon has definitely made more money A few more examples of dueling movies getting closer to present day or at least some movies that some of you youngsters out there might remember or have seen. In 1998, we had Ants and a Bug's Life, uh, two dueling animated movies about ants. 2004 was one of the funniest ones uh, because we had two films about rebellious teenage daughters of United States presidents. We had Chasing Liberty and we had First Daughter, Mandy Moore versus Katie Holmes. Neither one of those movies is worth your time. Just know that they exist. Uh, We had The Illusionist and The Prestige in 2006, two really good films in particular, The Prestige. And then a dueling movie example that for some reason a lot of people love to talk about and celebrate, even though neither one of these movies were too great, uh, Friends with Benefits and No Strings Attached in 2011, uh, both movies about pair of friends who decide they can have sex No strings attached. They'll be friends with benefits with no strings attached. And uh, those movies starred uh, Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher, but they're not in the same movie, but they were in that 70s show. And now they're in their each other's lives as a beautiful couple. And um, Natalie Portman and Justin Timberlake. So it's Natalie with Ashton and Justin with Mila or is it Mila? With Natalie, no, that was Black Swan. But anyway, brands with benefits and no strings attached. And uh, also, we want to mention White House Down. And Olympus Has Fallen in two thir- 2013, two movies about attacks on the White House. Many, many more examples of dueling movies out there. If you've got any, you can always reach me at rroper@suntimes.com. Let's take a break and celebrate Portillo's, and we'll take a look at some new stuff that's out there. All right, we're gonna talk about Portillo's. You guys know the drill here. They're known for their famous Chicago hot dogs with all the famous correct Chicago ingredients, right down to that poppy seed bun. But there's so much more they got great burgers. You can get Italian sausage, Italian beef, amazing French fries, also some really good salads. Don't shortchange the salads at Portillo's. And then of course, you top it off with the legendary, the one and only chocolate cake. I know people who ordered the entire cake for birthdays and other occasions, but you can also get a a slice, which will probably last you two helpings because it's amazing. And always, of course, you keep the cake at room temperature. That's how they do it at Portillo's. That's how you want to consume it. Now, there are Portillo's in many locations across the country, but you can also order online and ship it via portillo's.com. You can find a location near you, order online, portillo's, P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com, portillo's.com. Why does everyone ask how I'm feeling? I got done a huge deal. I got the election. I got ATM. I got plenty on my plate. You want to clear the air? You're a snake. You have hurt me more than you can possibly imagine. I have some concerns about your old man. I will sue, and I will go public. You point your finger at me, I point my finger at you. We are going to grind you down, man. We are sand in the gears. I hate you. Do you understand that? Loud and clear. Good. Done. I'm going to build something bigger, faster, wilder. I want to kill the opposition. Cut their throats. We are power! Okay, that is a clip from Succession, which is in its fourth and final season on HBO. Uh, spoiler warning: uh, If you haven't seen it, because it's been a couple of weeks now, we're going to discuss Connor's wedding, the now famous third episode of season four. If you haven't seen it, you should stop listening right now and come back because I'm going to not going to get too much into detail, but we're going to talk about the the huge effect that had on the series. Uh, Connor's wedding uh, was really kind of a a ruse, calling it that, because, yes, uh, the episode was set. Finally, Connor was going to get married, the oldest, uh, kind of least least loved. I don't know if any of the sons or or daughter were actually loved by Logan Roy, but you know who I'm talking about. Alan Ruck's uh, Connor was going to get married. Uh, At the last second, Brian Cox, the great Brian Cox, his Logan Roy decided he was not going to go to the wedding. He was going to go take care of business, literally, as he has done throughout the lives of his now-grown children who continue to alternately want to destroy their father and win his affection, often in the same episode. And then, shockingly, uh, Logan Roy suffers uh, what turns out to be a fatal attack. And the episode goes back and forth between uh, behind the scenes at the wedding and uh, the efforts to resuscitate Logan Roy. I think it was one of the great television episodes of the 21st century, Uh, We could actually do, and I think we will do, something uh, in the near future about the greatest single TV episodes of this century. I've got about 20 rattling through this brain of mine right now, and I'm sure you've got some favorites as well. But if you love Succession, and I know a lot of people have said, you know, it's tough to get behind this series because everybody's so terrible, and that's true, but it's darkly funny. It's exquisitely written. The performances, of course, are Shakespearean and great, Uh, And I thought this was the single best episode of Succession. So that continues on. I've seen a couple episodes that are going to be airing soon. And boy, there's a lot more coming, folks. That, you know, it's it it was, I think, again, I don't want to say a stroke of brilliance. That seems insensitive. But uh, it was quite a a bold and daring and creative move to remove, you know, the central character, the reason that the series exists uh, while there were still several episodes to go. You know, it'd be as if they took Tony Soprano out of The Sopranos in the second episode or third episode of the last season. But I think it was it was a, a a brilliant move, and you'll see that borne out in the in the subsequent episodes. This is for sure the final season of Succession that's on HBO. Very heavy stuff and a tough watch. I want to talk about, but also a very valuable document, recorded document of something that happened in this country. It's been ten years now. I speak of American Manhunt, the Boston Marathon bombing. This is on Netflix, coinciding with the 10-year anniversary. Can you believe it's been 10, year, 10 years since that horrific terrorist attack uh, right near the finish line of the Boston Marathon? Uh, this three-part series is, is really, really well done. They do tell the story in the background and, and provide some context to the, you know the two brothers, one who was killed and one who is, uh, you know, in prison. Uh, But it's not about them. It's about the investigators. It's about the journalists. It's mostly about the survivors, the victims, the heroes of the Boston Marathon bombings. Because as you'll recall, the bombings occurred on Patriot's Day. It's an actual holiday in Massachusetts. Uh, And actually there's a pretty strong uh, fictional film called Patriot's Day, which tells the same story. And that was on a Monday and then the rest of the week was all about the hunt for the first of all, who did it? Are there more bombings coming? Is this a concerted effort? is it is it uh, from a foreign enemy? Is it domestic terrorism? all of that while the city and actually most of Massachusetts uh, eventually was put on lockdown because they didn't have anybody in custody, and it's really fascinating to see the process when you know and you know it's interesting too, because in two thousand and thirteen. Uh, We were about four or five years past uh, the iPhone, I think it was the, I I wanna say the iPhone 4 or 5 that uh, introduced video recording. You could take pictures with phones going back, you know, 10 years before that. Uh, But by 2013, first of all, a lot of people still had digital cameras that they would bring out to events like this. Obviously, tons of news crews are out there. It's the Boston Marathon. It's a huge holiday, it's a huge event. It's one of the most famous races in the world. Uh, And then surveillance cameras, security cameras, which in the 12 years since 9-11, I don't know the exact number, but my guess is security and surveillance cameras, the number had probably quadrupled, if not more, in the 12 years since 9-11. So there was this kind of mixed blessing and curse of having so much material and investigators had to go through all of it, but it was actually, that's how they eventually got still photos of the two terrorists, the two cowardly murderers. And then those photos were eventually released to the public and people figured out who they were and they were identified. And all of that is, uh, you know, laid out in uh, American Manhunt, the Boston Marathon bombing. It's on Netflix. It's a, it's a brilliant three-part series. As I said, a tough watch, but I think it's something that is worth your time. Uh, We also have the last thing he told me on Apple TV Plus. Now guys, I thought going into this, this is going to be a surefire recommendation for you. Like a lot of these uh limited series we get on Amazon Prime and, and HBO, et cetera. This one's on Apple TV Plus. It's based on a best-selling novel. Got all those elements of, you know, kind of privileged people getting into heavy shit and there's a big mystery. Uh the the deal here is uh jennifer garner plays a woman who's married to this uh, guy he's in he's in uh, the tech world he mysteriously disappears leaving her with her stepdaughter her teenage uh stepdaughter who resents her now they've got to figure out what happened to the husband the dad and it seems like everybody's pursuing them they got to go on the run was there you know subterfuge involved criminal activity? And it's really well done, but the story's kind of flat. I didn't buy it. So the last thing he told me on Apple TV Plus Limited Series, I think you can actually, with so much out there, uh, take a pass on that. And also, speaking of taking a pass, Mafia Mama. Mafia Mama. It sounds like, uh, you know, some sort of ABBA dinner theater production. Uh, It's so bad, guys. Here's the deal with this. Mafia Mama. This is a, a... a feature film. Uh, it starts with the great Tony Collette, who is can be an electric presence in so many movies. You know, through the decades, from Sixth Sense* through *Hereditary* and so many other films. It's maybe the worst movie of her career, and unfortunately, the worst performance of her career. She plays Tony Collette plays a suburban American housewife whose husband is an idiot who's cheating on her, so her marriage is falling apart. She doesn't. She's got a terrible job with this pharmaceutical sales company run by a bunch of misogynistic men. Then she gets a call from someone she's never met played by Monica Bellucci who's a conciliary for an Italian mob family and it turns out that Tony Collette's grandfather whom she had never met was the head of a crime family and had died and had left the entire crime syndicate to her his granddaughter because that's what this stupid movie wants us to believe. She jets off to Rome and gets involved in all sorts of Comedic hijinks. So it's kind of a parody of uh mafia movies. It's actually super violent, but also incredibly unfunny. And even for a satire, a comedy about the mom, it exists in a world that has no relationship whatsoever to the real world in any way, shape, or form. Kind of amazing, too, because the director is Catherine Hardwick, who has done 13 and uh, did the first Twilight film, and it's done some, some really good stuff through the years. And I, I don't know what the process was here, if there was a screenplay that, that people thought had promised, but to get a quality director and a really good cast attached to something that never should have been made, it's one of those mysteries of Hollywood. You will not see a dueling movie with a similar plot to Ma- Mama Mafia, Mafia Mama, Mama Mia. Uh, so run, uh, don't walk away. From Mafia Mama, I hate to end on that uh, down note, but there you have it. Watch the watch the Netflix documentary about the Marathon Bombers and the manhunt for them. Watch Succession on HBO, and if you haven't had a chance to see it yet, I mentioned in the last podcast the best limited series I've seen so far this year is Beef uh, with Stephen Young and uh, Ali Wong. Give it a give it a twirl. I've had a few people who said to me. They didn't know from that title what it was about. They weren't sure. And then they heard me ranting and raving, mostly raving, not ranting. I'm ranting if you don't see it. uh, And have really, really enjoyed it. So that's what I try to do here. Not only steer you away from the bad stuff, but tell you about the great stuff that might pass by because there's so much stuff out there. So beef on Netflix, make it a must watch. I'm Richard Roper. Thanks so much for listening. And we will talk soon.